Welcome to all of you joining at all our campuses, those online. Some years ago, I worked with a successful business person. He was a wonderful man and would often tell the good things he was doing in the community. And on this one occasion, he shared with a small group of us in the office how he was giving financial support to a number of charities in the area. And let me tell you, he shared the specifics and it was a substantial amount of money I'm giving to this charity and to that charity and to this organization. And we were like, wow, that's incredible. That is so giving and generous of you. But a thought came to my mind. What is that urge inside of us where we feel the need to share the good that we do? Don't you have that urge on occasion when you do good? Or you wanna share that with someone? I know I do. And when I do good, I'm just thinking, if I could just tell one person the good that I'm doing, you know, what a good person I am. I think that urge is just human nature. Well, in the passage we're gonna look at today, Jesus is gonna challenge that urge to bring attention to ourselves when we do good. We're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and today we're, we're gonna be looking at just three verses in Matthew 6, verse two through four, but we're kicking off a theme that runs all the way through verse 18. The theme is this, you can do good the wrong way. And the good we're gonna be talking about is giving. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd of people. His disciples are there, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, no doubt are there. And, and this is what he says. I wanna just read the three verses and then we're gonna walk through each of these verses. Matthew 6, two through four. So. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Now, let me just pause. The hypocrites Jesus is referring to there are the religious leaders. He would often refer to them that way in the gospels. He said, don't give like they do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So point number one, right off the start, Jesus is instructing us, to catch it? To give. Look at verse two again. So when you give, not if you give, but when you give. And he's looking at his disciples and he's looking at you and I today as followers and he just assumes we are going to be a giving, generous People. In fact, all through the Bible, we see verses where God desires us, in fact, expects us to be givers. Look at Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. He's talking about the tithe there, the first 10%. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Just as you excel in everything, the apostle Paul says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So it's pretty clear in the Bible where to be givers. A college, a college professor, Bible college professor asked his students this question, why does God call us to give? And the overwhelming response was to support his work, to support the work of the kingdom of God. But the professor pushed back and said, does God really need our money? And then he asked a series of questions with a humorous undertone. Is the light bill too big for God in heaven? Is he running out of gold for his streets? 
Is he running law on cattle on a thousand hills? But he knew what the students were getting at, but he wanted them to stop and think about it for a moment. He's God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He does not need our money. I mean, he is the one who took two fish and five loaves and turned it into enough food to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He did it in an instant. He's the one in 2 Kings 4 that took a small jar of olive oil for that poor widow. Small jar of olive oil, and he turned it into enough olive oil to fill all the jars in her neighborhood. And he's the one that dropped food from heaven to feed the wandering Israelites in the desert. The point is this. God does not need our money. He doesn't call us to give so that we can help him. He calls us to give so that he can help us. You ask, help us with what? Help us die to our self-centered ways. You know, one of the most often quoted words of Jesus in the gospels is the one who loses their life for the gospel finds life. In other words, the one who loses their self-centered ways. And I believe giving probably more than any other activity a Christian engages in can drive self-centeredness out of our lives. I knew a pastor who shared a story of a congregate in his church. Let's just call him Joe. And he said, after service, Joe came up to me and he just poured out his heart. He confessed. He said, pastor, I'm having a hard time giving these days. Pastor asked, what seems to be the problem? And Joe says, well, back when I made $50 a day, <clears throat> I gave $5. He's talking about the tithe. And he said, and that was easy. And then I made $500 a week and I gave $50 and that was okay. But pastor, I make $5 thousand dollars a week. Give him five hundred dollars. That's a lot of money that I can use for myself. And then he just asked, Pastor, will you pray for me? And the pastor said, sure. And he prayed, Father God, please reduce Joe's income back down to five hundred dollars <laughs> a week so that he can honor you with giving. And isn't that what it's all about? to honor God. That's why we're to give. It's an act of worship. You know that. We give because he gives to us. He gives the very air we're breathing right now. We, we give because he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whomever believes has eternal hope. You know, in fact, when you stop and think about it, without giving, without giving, we can't live out our God-given purpose. Without giving, we can't be an expression of God's love in a world that is in desperate need to know him. Without giving, we can't be his hands and his feet. Now, I'm not just talking about financial giving there. That's giving our time and our talents, our gifts. Yes, our resources. It's, a, it's giving a bit of ourselves away for the good of others and for the glory of God. Without giving, we really can't live out our God-given purpose. I like how one once said it. There's three kinds of giving. Grudge giving, duty giving, thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I have to. Duty giving says, I ought to. Thanksgiving says, I want to. And Jesus says, 
where your heart is or where your treasures are, there is where your heart is. He's not after our money, but he is after our hearts, our commitment. And that is why he calls us to give. So all of that to say, what the religious leaders are doing here, giving to the needy is a good thing, good thing. But the way they're doing it, it's not good. It's not good. Look at, pick up the passage, verse two. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. I mean, you have this image in your head with, where these religious leaders are blowing trumpets. Come to me, all of you who are in need. You're amazed by that. Do you want me to do that again? The tr- <laughs> I get some applause over here. Now listen, I don't know if Jesus is using hyperbole or whether they actually blew trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets. Some would suggest, some of the commentary writers would suggest they actually blew trumpets. Others would suggest probably hyperbole, but I don't think it really matters because what is Jesus saying? Don't bring attention to yourself when you do good, when you give. And that's apparently what they were doing because we read in in Matthew 23, five, look at it with me. Jesus said this about the religious leaders. They do all their deeds, their good deeds to be seen by others. It's all about ego. Stanford University published an article that listed the top reasons and motivations why people give. Would you believe ego made the list They defined ego this way in the study, giving to enhance your reputation in order to feel good about yourself. But Jesus is saying, when you Christian give, I don't want it to be about you. And then in verse three, look at this. He makes another, do not do this when you give statement. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, what does that even mean? Because that's impossible. You know what you're doing when you give, left hand, right hand. And Jesus here is using figure of speech. He is using hyperbole here. It's an exaggeration to make the point. What's the point? Be inconspicuous when we give. Be ordinary, in other words. It's just who you are. It's what you do. It's no big deal. I like how one commentary writer put it of this passage. He said, Jesus here is saying, don't congratulate yourself when you give, where you have this image in your head of your left hand shaking your right hand as if to say, I'm so good and I'm so generous and I'm so caring. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't give that way. And then notice what he calls these religious leaders because they bring attention to themselves when they give. He calls them hypocrites. And that comes from the Greek word meaning actor. Actor. Jesus said, you're an actor. You're a hypocrite. But time out, time out. They're not acting like they're giving. They're giving. They're not saying we are giving and they're not giving. No, they're giving. They're not saying one thing, doing something else. It's not like Ananias and Sapphira. You remember the husband and wife? And and it's in Acts chapter five. And they were 
Well, actually, the church first off in Acts 5 was just growing significantly. I mean, it was exploding with growth. And there were some of the congregates within the church that were extravagantly giving. And so we read, for example, about Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, just the chapter prior. And Barnabas sold a piece of land he had, and he took all the proceeds, and he brought it to the to the apostles, the church leaders, to distribute it to those in need. Well, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to do something similar, so they sold a piece of land they had, and they too brought proceeds to the church leaders to distribute it. But you remember what the difference was? They said they gave it all. All of the proceeds from the sale, when in fact they didn't. They kept a portion for themselves. They said one thing and did something else. They were lying. But that's not what the religious leaders here are doing. They said they gave, they gave. But Jesus is calling them hypocrite actors. Why? Because they're acting like they care for the people when in fact they only cared about themselves. In fact, later in Matthew, we, we, we see that Jesus says about the religious leaders, they tie heavy burdens on the people and don't even lift a finger to help them. It was all about themselves. And in all of this, Jesus is saying, your actions are good, but your heart and your motivation is bad. And he cares more about our heart and our motivation than the good things we do. Now, what I'm about to say is, is obvious. You, you know this, but it's worth stating. Only you and God know your heart and motivations. I don't know yours, you don't know mine, but one thing is for certain, God does. And the overarching warning in this passage is we can't fool God. And I believe there are at least a couple of ways people today think they can fool God. One way is what's covered in this passage, doing good with wrong motives. The other way, saying, I believe in you, God, but no good deeds follow. And God sees right through it all. And the warning is, we can't fool them. And Jesus in this passage is saying, your good deeds, your giving without a transformed heart misses the mark. That is why the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 3 says these profound words. Look at them with me. If I give all, all I possess, liquidate your 401k and your IRA and sell your house and take everything and give it to the poor but do not have love, which can only come from your heart. I gain nothing, no eternal reward in heaven. But what you will notice here in this passage is that Jesus does not deny that even if you give with the wrong heart, he doesn't deny that you won't receive reward in this world. In fact, Look at verse two. One of the main motivations for the religious leaders to give was, look at it with me, to be honored by others. And let me tell you, they were honored by the people. In fact, even today, if we see someone being generous, we don't know their hearts, but when we see generosity, we often, right, applaud that. And that's exactly what was happening in the first century. They saw the good things these religious leaders did and they applauded it they would step back and say, you're so good 
and you're so generous. And because they were the religious leaders, they actually looked at them as being the ones who were the holy ones, the righteous ones, the ones that were close to God. So they received the applause of people. And Jesus is saying in this passage, you better like it because that's all you're getting. He says it this way, verse two, look at it with me. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward, the applaud of people, in full. In other words, no eternal reward, no eternal blessing from God. Why? Because they're not close to God. They were acting. That's why Jesus refers to them as whitewashed tombs. You so, look so good on the outside, but on the inside, dead bones. Far from me. The people were impressed, but God wasn't. Even though they did all sorts of good, yeah. Because what God is after is not just outward good, you get the point, but an inward change of the heart from which outward good flows. So the question remains, how are we to give? Look at verse four. That your giving may be in secret. It's what Pastor Rex talked about last week. It's between an audience of one, between you and God. Do not bring attention to yourself when you give, when you do good. Now, don't get legalistic about this. I, I, knew, I knew a person who would be so nervous about anyone finding out the good they were doing. And, and he was very, very nervous if anybody knew how, how much money he was given or that he was even giving. And I was like, well, the people you're giving to, no, you're giving. So don't get weird with this, okay? Don't get weird. Don't get legalistic. Because it's all about the heart. And, and remember, by the way, remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, just the chapter before this. He said, Christian, let your light shine. So the unbelieving world sees the good that you do, and it gives glory and glory to God. Give glory to God when people see it. And that's not a contradiction of this passage. In fact, it reinforces the principle of this passage, right? We're not to do it to get the attention. And when we do, we don't absorb all the glory for ourselves, which is what was happening in six. When we do get noticed, not why we do it, but when we do, and if we get noticed, we reflect glory to God. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what it's about. So how are we to give? We're given secret. Don't bring attention to ourselves between you and God. And then what we see is a beautiful promise right at the end of this passage when we give with the right heart. Look at it with me, verse four. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, notice the words, will, not may, will reward you. That's a promise you can count on. And there are so many passages in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, that reinforce that promise that when we give with the right heart, there is a blessing. This side of eternity, as well as the next. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 18. Command them to do good, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, listen, they will, not may, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. 
And then Luke 6, 38, very familiar passage, the law of reciprocity. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. When you give the right heart, God promises reward, a blessing. I was listening to a well-known pastor. He was being interviewed. This is some years ago, but I, I, I saw it recently. And he has a large church, founding pastor, been in ministry for decades. And he said, like any church, he said, I have givers and non-givers in my church. And they say totally opposite things from one another, but within the same groups, they say the same things. And that's what you would expect. And he said, the givers always talk about how blessed they are to be able to give. And the non-givers always talk about how they can't afford to give. And he said, in all his years of ministry, he's convinced that's because the givers are experiencing blessing in their lives. And it reminded me of Proverbs eleven twenty four. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Or like how Jesus puts it, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So don't miss it. When we give it to right heart, God promises a reward. Let me give you a little warning. If we give expecting something in return, we may not be acting any differently than the religious leaders who, who gave out of selfish reasons. So when we give, do not make the reward the motivation. That's not why we do it. Do not make the reward the motivation. Rather, we the reward, the blessing that is promised is a byproduct of giving, okay? Let me say it this way. Let me say it differently. We don't give to get. We get to give. We give because he's blessed us so much that we want to, all right? So that's the passage. Should I let you go now or? I think there's 12 minutes left. All right, I got a question because I don't, I, really, if we don't answer this question, we're left hanging a bit. This is the question I want us to address and answer. Why did the religious leaders not have the right heart? And what can we learn from it, right? Why did the religious leaders not have the right heart? And what can we learn from it? In other words, how do we get the right heart? The heart that Jesus is looking for. And I believe this passage gives us a glimpse as to what that is. And it's found in one word, father. Notice who the rewarder is. Verse four, your father will reward you. A.W. Tozer said, very famously, your view of God is the most important thing about you because it impacts the way you think and the way you act. And the religious leaders did not view God or know God as father. Say, so how do you know? Because Jesus tells us that in John chapter eight. There's a heated exchange occurring here between Jesus and the religious leaders. The religious leaders are questioning the claims of Jesus as being the son of God. And Jesus, in response, says this. Look at it with me. John 8, verse 19. You do not know me or my father. 
Verse 41, 42, the only father we have is God himself. If God were your father, you would love me. Verse 55, you do not know him, the father. They didn't know God. They didn't view God as father. So how do they view God? As a distant, impersonal boss figure. You see, they had a works-based mindset. What do I mean by that? In their mind, the way they earned God's acceptance and approval was by the good things they did, by giving to the needy. In fact, you will read in religious, Jewish religious texts like the Talmud this, and I quote, alms giving, which is giving to the poor, will deliver you from the condemnation of hell and make one perfectly righteous. So in their minds, all they had to do was do some good, give. Didn't matter what the means were. Didn't matter what the motive was. Didn't matter what your heart was like. Just give. Even if I don't care for the people, yes. Just give, even though it's really all about bringing attention and glory to me as I blow my trumpets. Yeah. And you know what was at the core of their motivation? Control. If I give, God has to accept me. And if I give, people will respect me. God accepts me, people respect me. God accepts me, people respect me. It's all about me. You can't get more self-centered than that. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is this. I don't care about all the good things you're doing if you're full of yourself. That's what he's saying. I really like how God says it through the prophet Hosea in Hosea 6, 6. He said, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings, your giving. I want you to know me. And that's all about a personal, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. The only way we can have that is if we come to the end of ourselves, not by being full of ourself, by coming to the end of our self-centered ways. And that only happens when we acknowledge, I need help. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. And that grace only comes through Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, I am life. No one comes to the Father unless you come through me. You see, the Pharisees, like so many people today, think if I can just be good enough, I'll be okay. God will accept me, people will like me. 
But there's some big problems with that way of thinking. Problem number one is it can produce arrogance and pride. And it's exactly what it produced in the life of the religious leaders. That's why Jesus was often going at them because they were full of themselves, full of pride and arrogance. Because you think I'm good enough for God. You all aren't because you're not living up to the standards, but I am. And it can produce arrogance. That's problem number one. And God hates pride, Proverbs 16, five. Problem number two, if you are trying to earn your way to God by the good that you do, by the way, I should pause and just say this. Every world religion believes that except for Christianity. Every worldview, if I could just earn my way to God. Problem number two, though, is you can't answer this question. When is good good enough for God? And where am I in this continuum of good? Can't answer it. So it leaves you with uncertainty and doubt. Problem number three, and probably the biggest one, it's impossible in our own efforts to earn God's approval. So let me, let me say it this way. It's really illogical when you think about it. Everyone who hears my voice, all the campuses online, every one of us knows this, unless you have a psychological problem. Everyone knows this. We're imperfect people, right? We're all imperfect. But God isn't. He's perfect. So it would be like me, little me, temporal, pat, dullest sin and baggage, imperfections, trying to reach this magnificent, eternal, just, perfect, powerful God in my own little feeble attempts. It doesn't make sense. New Testament, the apostle Paul puts it this way. We're sinners. We fall short of God's perfect standards. Old Testament, Isaiah says it this way. All our good deeds in light of God's perfection are like filthy rags. It's impossible. It's impossible in our own efforts. It's not logical. You know what's logical? Is the eternal God coming down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And if we put our faith and trust in him, then his righteousness is given to you and it's given to me. Not because we've earned it or deserved it, but because of who we are in him. And so when God looks at you and he looks at me, and I often say this, he doesn't see your and my imperfections. He doesn't see the sin. He doesn't see the filth. He sees the perfect one, Jesus. And you know what that's called? Grace. The unearned, unmerited favor of God. And that grace changes everything. It changes everything. So that we no longer view God as a distant and personal boss figure, but we now can view him through Christ as our Abba, Father, Daddy. Isn't that incredible? Amen. Amen. And when we view God through the lens of grace, that's when our hearts 
begin to be filled with gratitude. Thank you for rescuing me from my self-centered ways. And that's when we give, not because we ought to or have to, but because we want to. Best-selling author and founding pastor of Gateway Church, Robert Morris, wrote a book some years ago. It's called The Blessed Life. It's a wonderful read, and it tackles the issue of giving from a biblical perspective. And in that book, he shares a quick story of when he was asked to speak at a convention, a large conference on his book, The Blessed Life. And, and Debbie, his wife, came with him. After the conference and his presentation, he went to dinner with a pastor friend of his and, and his wife. It's just the four of them. And when they're seated there at dinner, the wife of the pastor asked Debbie, Pastor Robert Morris's wife, a question that she had never been asked before. Normally, she's asked the question, how did you feel when your husband wanted to gift your first home away? And they have gifted a number of houses and cars. They're just extravagant givers, but that wasn't the question. The question rather was this, why do you think your husband is so generous and I want to end with her response. She paused for a while, and then she said these words. Because he's never forgotten, he's never gotten over, excuse me, getting saved. He's never gotten over that. And he's never forgotten where he came from. And by his own admission, Pastor Robert Morris was a drug addict before coming to faith. His life was spiraling out of control. He came to faith in a rundown motel. She said he'd never forgot where he came from. And he knows better than anyone that everything we have comes from God. And then get this, last, last sentence. He is the most grateful person I know. And therefore, he is the most generous person I know. And that, my friends is living and giving from the heart. Living from the inside out. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. And I don't know where everyone is in their journey to you. That here's my voice, but here's my prayer. Father, that they would in some way, shape, or form, be moved by the uniqueness of your grace. There is nothing on the face of the planet like the grace that you have given us through your son, Jesus. And I pray, Father God, that wherever we are on your journey, I pray that we would be moved by that grace and that it would draw us closer to you in Christ Jesus so that we can begin to become all that you have called us to be. And may we, Father God, be witnesses of that grace in a world that is in desperate need to know you. Thank you, Father, for all that you do through this body of grace fellowship and all that you will continue to do as we remain steadfast and faithful to your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.